What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita. Back in action today, May 18th, 2020. Just released an episode this morning where I spoke with Aaron Levitt and Amy Vander Hayden. We had a great conversation about the most recent season of Survivor, Survivor Season 40, Winners at War. Go back and check that one out if you are interested. But today, we have so much to get to with the series finale of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan docu-series on the 1998 Chicago Bulls. I actually have two guests for you today. The Bulls had two three-peats, so why not bring on two separate guests, two separate conversations. Our main conversation today will be had with Daniel Setsky, great friend of mine, first time on the show, and also making his podcasting debut. I have an excellent guest joining me here for a short bit. Jonathan Clancy calling into the show. Big time Bulls fan. Grew up with the Bulls in the 90s. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jack? Things are good. I, I feel like I'm still on an emotional high from last night. Yes. Yes, totally. <laughs> totally. It's just, I, I, I was emotional watching the end of it and seeing the Bulls pull it out, reliving the whole thing. Um, it was truly amazing. Truly amazing. And how about having that present tense by Pearl Jam coming in in that montage there at the end? That that almost, I almost teared oh, up totally. during that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That was great. The, 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 the quality of this documentary is amazing. I mean, not only is it like really personal, the content of it, but just the style, the, the, the um, cinematography and all that. If there's, I'm not a documentary expert, expert <laughs> but if there's a better documentary out there, then I would love to see it because this was just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think this was the best one. And in this episode, a little later, I'll be talking with Daniel Setsky, and we, we taped our interview already. We talked a little bit about maybe a couple of the weak spots, just really only a couple, though. This was so strong. We talked about all the strengths in this documentary. I think really the only one you can compare it to because the docu-series is just a it's a newer wave of... It's a newer trend in the documentary space. You, the only thing you compare it to is the OJ Made in America documentary that they did. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that this whole thing got made is because um, the long-form documentary series uh, genre has, has really come about in the last couple of years with, like you said, OJ and uh, Making a Murder on Netflix as well. Tiger King, like you get that. Because can you imagine doing all of this in like one, you know, two-hour do- documentary? Oh no, we be, we needed this. <laughs> <laughs> we needed I this. Send more parts. <laughs> Ken Burns did the extended documentary series long time ago, but really no one else had touched that up until recently. Yep, yep. I think we're both in agreement here. This is the best. This is at least both of our favorite documentary that we've seen. Definitely. Okay, so we're we're in agreement so far. Last night was my favorite of the episodes. Was it yours? Yeah, I think the yeah, definitely the last one, and then uh, seven and eight were also really good too. Yeah, really good from a uh, from like a bravado point of view. Like probably probably my favorite like uh, clip in the whole series was when Jordan was watching that 
uh, clip of Gary Payton talking about how he got under his skin <laughs> and he jolted him and the series changed. Um, that the, just the way he laughed, it was like he was right back in it. He was right back in talking trash and stuff. Um, and sidebar, I think that Jordan was saying that he lost games four and five on purpose so that he could win it in game six on Father's Day. He didn't say that explicitly, but it sounded like he was implying it when he said he had other things on his mind. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I hadn't heard that, but I do think that they definitely took their foot off the gas pedal there. I mean, they were up 3 nothing, and for a, that series, I just don't think that series is ever going to be close if it's played 100 times. How many times are the Supersonics winning it? Not not a lot. Yeah, yeah the 96 Bulls team was incredible. Yeah. yeah, so you would agree with me. This was just so inspiring this last episode because it made me feel like all right i'm Mm -hmm. i'm ready to do this podcasting thing and i'm gonna be the best podcaster that i can be (laughs) yeah yeah totally totally really did it really did just seeing like everything he got he earned you know um he had talked a couple times through it that like everything he got with all the you know sometimes he would focus on the shoe deals and all the endorsements he got, but, but, but he said at one point in the doc, I forget what episode it was, that all of that, um, all of those opportunities came as a result of how good he was at his craft and how much he focused on basketball, how great he was at basketball. Then the doors opened up to everything else. And it's just, it was so inspiring. Like that laser focus on, on whatever your craft is, um, made me want to lace them up and get, and get back on the basketball court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember, the one where with all the weight training, it was, uh, I think, episode three or episode four. It was that second week. I'm like, get me in the mm-hmm. gym. I'm doing all my – I can't yeah. get to the gym right now, but I'll do as many push-ups as I can right now. It actually resulted in one yeah. day where I did 70, which I was pretty uh, happy with myself about there that. Go. But there you go. haven't stuck with it since. It didn't, didn't uh, <laughs> stick with me long enough. <laughs> Maybe it's back, though, after uh. last night. Well, you are certainly not alone in that. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you grew up watching this team in the 90s. What year were you born? I was born in 89. Okay. So so I was just a young pup going through uh, going through it uh, live, you know. So when the Bulls won their uh, championship in 88, I was only, um, I was only nine, uh, eight or nine years old. Um, but one of the things that made me fall in love with the Bulls, I had this, uh, I had this VHS tape that was a, it was like the official uh, film of the Bulls' first three-piece. So it chronicled the, the 92-93 uh, season. And I would watch this thing over and over again. I had a Fisher Price basketball hoop <laughs> in my family room, and I put the uh, video on, and then I would bring all these different shirts down that I would wear while I'm playing basketball. So I had... Um, and, and they all correspond to different scenes in, in the video. <laughs> so I had a practice shirt for when they were showing a, a scene at practice. I had a home basketball jersey. I had an away basketball jersey. I had warm-ups for when they were warming up, you know, before the game. <laughs> so I would watch that all the time. And, and uh, one, one funny moment from it is that, you know, I haven't watched it in years, but it stuck with me. So when they, were, when they came across the 93 season and um, – they were showing Paxson's shot in game six against the Suns uh, to take the lead in the, in the, in the last minute. Um, as they're showing the clip, they're, they're, uh, the announcers are um, 
calling it and I'm quoting the announcers next to my wife <laughs> as we're watching this a couple of weeks ago. I'm quoting the announcers word for word. And she looks at me like, how on earth are you doing this right now? <laughs> I'm like, Oh, it's the tape. It's the tape. <laughs> so it really brought me back. And it really, it just feelings of nostalgia had just been amazing this week because, um, I mean, partially because the bulls have been so bad ever since Jordan last year with a, with a couple of seasons, uh, being exceptions there. Um, but going through that as a city and just the pride you still have with the Chicago Bulls, um, because who knows what they would be if it weren't for that uh, for that six year or that eight year stretch post six championships. Oh man! Oh my gosh! So many nostalgic feelings, and unfortunately, I missed out on all of it because I was born in '94. So I, oh, no. at one point in time, could vaguely remember. Just I feel like I have a memory somewhere in there of. Ray Clay doing the starting lineups, but then I'm like, am I lying to myself? Cause I've seen so many of these highlights and stuff like that. But I do think I can mildly remember that, but being four years old, not even four years old when they won that last one. So, uh, other things were on my mind at the time, I guess, which is, uh, very unfortunate. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But w- one of the other things that kind of struck me, um, about this documentary and, I think part of it is because of, um, you know, it's Jordan's, uh, Jordan's guys produced it and, you know, they had, they had almost full editorial say and yeah. the way that everything's portrayed. But one thing that really struck me and initially I didn't feel this way, but as I thought about it more, as we're going through the last four or five weeks in this documentary, I think Jerry Krause is incredibly underrated, very very underrated. Interesting. Please and, uh, elaborate on that because that d- is definitely not the most popular opinion in Chicago right now. No, no, it's not. And he and he brought it on himself. Like <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not here to defend everything he did, right? Because um, I mean, the '98 season with all of the um, you know, just all the things that were said about hey, Phil's not going to be here, and the way he was forcing his hand. Um, you know, I think he I think he had a little man complex where he really he felt he deserved more credit than what he was getting. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't just shut up and sit back and let the team succeed. He had to come out and say it's, it's organizations that win and all that. And like, that's, that's a lot of reasons why he was hated. Right. Um, but you just got to look at his body of work. I mean, he, 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 he put together teams that won six championships. Right. And those, those were two different teams. Right. The only the the only two people that were with there, or the only three people that were with there for all three were Phil, Scotty, and Michael. The whole the whole rest of the team was constructed by Kraus. And um, you know, like he uh, he was one that found Scotty, he was one that found Horace Grant, he traded for Kukoch, he traded for uh, or he signed Kukoch, he traded for um he traded for Rodman and all those role players and and, and, and he kept that team together. And six championships and six championships it's hard enough to put one championship together, much less um, six, you know? And I think, and I think one thing that uh, should be remembered in this whole thing is that players, um, you know, players like Krause, you know, especially towards the end. And, and it's, it's just hard to maintain good relationships throughout the six years. I mean, it happens to every dynasty, the, the Lakers, you know, Shaq and Kobe hated each other by the end of it. Kobe and Phil hated each other. By the end of it. Um, <laughs> but um, I mean, the thing you remember is that players are not good GMs. You know, sometimes we look at this like, oh, Jordan really wanted this. It's like, well, he's not a general manager. He's he's a basketball player, right? And Kraus, um, 
you know, Kraft had to make tough decisions that ended up benefiting the team, right? He traded, uh, you know, one of the first ones being trading Charles Oakley for Bill Cartwright, right? Oakley is one of the, Oakley is an yeah. awesome player. I love Charles Oakley. You know, I, I, I wish there was a way we could have kept him on those Bulls teams. I think he would have been um, one of the favorite Chicago Suns him him staying there through the, through the 90s. But it was what the Bulls needed. They needed Cartwright. And Jordan hated Cartwright. And he loved uh, Oakley. He didn't like the trade at the time, but he admitted in the doc that it was the right move. And, you know, sometimes you need that person who um, you don't always have to like each other, right, to succeed. And I think that um, even though Krauss brought it on himself, uh, and he and he did a lot of things to earn to earn that reputation as a very unlikable character, but um, I mean the stuff he did was was really incredible. He he had an incredible managerial career. I mean, there's three, there's two franchises that have more championships than Barry Krauss. There's another way to look at it too, and that's the Lakers and the Celtics. Nobody else does. Um, he's he's one of the greatest general managers of all time, of all time. And, and um, I think that's the one thing that's missing from this documentary. And, and I'm not complaining. I'm not, it's, it's not a dig. It's not a dig. This documentary is amazing. I'm so thankful right. we got it. I'm not saying that it was really, uh, it was incomplete without this because it wasn't. But I really wish that we could have heard Krause's, uh, we could have had Krause's take on a lot of these things too. Yeah, it's not really fair to him that he's not alive and he doesn't get to defend himself. That is something that I think is a little bit problematic in its own right. I will say that all of it's going on Kraus, but you could also put some of it on Reinsdorf too. And the other thing I would say is I would just tell Chicago fans as a Chicago in myself, you can't get carried away with the Kraus slander right now because there have been much worse executives in this city. And I think it's interesting because you just saw it with the Blackhawks. Now they're entering a rebuild. And you just, if you look, pay attention to Twitter, the fans are so upset with that Blackhawks front office. And yet they won three mm-hmm. Stanley Cups. And now it's some of it's starting to turn on Theo with the Cubs and that historic accomplishment. And I think, I think criticism is warranted always. I think you can always criticize things, but you can't let that criticism overtake all of the success of winning six championships. I mean, this isn't Ryan Pace or Gar Foreman that we're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, I like I totally get why people don't like him. I, I, I really do. I'm not saying, like, he's my favorite person. You know, he's the number one person that I want to, you know, get together with and talk to. Like, no, I just think he was an incredible general manager. And, um, you know, it's like, it kind of goes like Jordan's reputation. He was invincible, you know, and it's like, it's almost like there's this thing out there that Jordan would have been a six time champion, no matter what, right. That, that he would succeed no matter who was the general manager or who, or, or, or who was around him. And I just, that's just not the case, you know, like players, uh, superstars become superstars when they're in the right, uh, environment. You know, you can look at any of these, uh, super, you know, any, there's, there's tons of examples of the last 20, 30 years in all sports where, a super talented player does not get put in the right situation and um, they don't achieve their full uh, potential. And then also from the team point of view, you could have a guy who's incredible, who has scoring titles and all this stuff and never wins a championship because they're not in the right. And it's not their fault. You know, you, you got to win your first, but if you don't have the right team around you, it's not enough. Basketball, you can't win a title with just one superstar. You need a team around you. And Kraus, um, you know, Krauss really helped put that team around Jordan. 
Yeah, I think I will say, despite all of that, which I mostly agree with you on, I will say that breaking up the team when he did was indefensible at the same time. So I, I don't think you have to stand firmly on Kraus being the worst or Kraus being the best. And I know you're not even saying that Kraus is the best, but I will highlight that I do think, and I, I think you were interested in talking about this, and we don't have too much time, but that 1999 season, let's say they bring back MJ, don't trade away Scottie Pippen. I did talk about this to a greater extent with Daniel Setsky later coming up later in this podcast episode, but that's a lockout shortened season. It's only 50 games. That's something that would favor an older team such as the Bulls. You take a look at the Eastern Conference that year. There's no one that's overwhelmingly dominant. The eight seed Knicks end up being the team that come through the East. I think that you can totally understand why Michael Jordan and all of them are ticked off about it and that they believe that they would have been right back there. And I think that they would have at least run through the Eastern Conference that year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's a great what if. It really is. Because, you know, even if they wouldn't have won, just watching Jordan for another year, being able to experience that for another year in Chicago. And, I, you know, I always hate that he played for the Wizards afterwards. I, I really wish he had just played for the Bulls and that was it. Yeah. But, um, I mean... I, I totally get it. I'm not one to doubt Jordan. You know, he, he's, he's my favorite player of all time, my favorite athlete of all time. I love the guy. Um, and I think when you look at 99, I think a couple things to remember is that 98 was, it was an absolute miracle that he pulled that off. I mean, just watching that game, he pulled that team to victory in game six against the Jazz. He pulled them uh, to their championship. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the next season, they're – there's three guys were all old, you know, everyone was going to get a little bit worse, right? Because everyone was uh, on the opposite, on the wrong end of their primes, Jordan Pippen and Rodman mainly. Well, I will say, I will say Scotty Pippen goes over to the trailblazers after that failed rockets experiment where Barkley Pippen and Elijah yeah. and all those guys are like, <laughs> we're going to run through the league this year and it doesn't happen. Yeah. But Pippen with the Trailblazers or the Jailblazers, if you want to yeah. call them that, uh, got to the West Finals. It was either 2000 or 2001. Mm-hmm. Game seven, they were up 18, I think it was, on the Lakers. Yeah, I that. Pippen was the best player on that team at the time. Yeah, he, he, So Pippen he, had a little Wallace, bit left Brian in him. Grant. Yeah, I remember that team. That was a good team. Yeah. Yeah. Arvidas Sabonis. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. And, and, and it's not that... Uh, like Pippen was awful, but Robin was pretty much done. You know, I'm not sure how much longer he would yeah. have lasted on the court or off the court. <laughs> um, he only you know, played, he only played like a year and a half after that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other issue they had was uh, salaries, you know, they were true uh, in 98, their salaries were, or their, their payroll was, uh, you know, $10 million more in the second than the second ranked team in the Knicks. And there's $20 million more than, the third, the third place team. And, um, Pippen, Pippen needed to get paid. You know, they, they traded him, but it, it, it was a sign and trade. He signed as a free, he was a free agent at the end of that year. So it was traded, but you know, they would have to sign him. They would have to pay him. He was underpaid all those years. Um, and, you know, Jordan, you know, Pat, uh, uh, Jackson would cost a ton of money. There's a big financial part of it. Um, you know, and, um, you know, whether or not they would have won, I think that's always fun to debate. Um, but you know, if you look at where it ended, it's, it's, it's really hard to write a better story than what it is, you know? And 
they won three championships, and Jordan closed six of those eight years with championships, and now he's looked at as invincible, right? His, his image is that he was invincible and no one could beat him when he was at his peak. Um, and I'm not sure it would have, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of that image would have been tarnished had he come back in 99 and then lost to um, some team that was just, that wasn't nearly as good as the Bulls or as great as the Bulls, but were just younger, you know? And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I would have hated to see those Bulls teams over the hill, right? And um, hmm. it's not like they dominated in 98. It's not like no one could get, you know, they went 16-1 yeah. and one, or 15-1 uh, and one in the playoffs and all this. They, they, they barely squeaked it out in, in multiple series. They could have easily lost those, the conference finals and the NBA finals. So, um, yeah, it, it certainly would have been awesome to see him back. But it's also a great way to end the story, too. It's a great end the story, and at the same time, you totally understand what Michael's saying too, because closure is a really nice thing, and to have the what if hanging over your head if you're an extremely competitive person, Jonathan. I don't believe you watched Survivor, but I just talked about there was a guy on Survivor who basically fell on the sword for someone else at the very end of the game, and one of the motivating factors was he didn't want to have to wait a year knowing if or not because he'd be having anxiety over yeah. it the whole time. Gotcha. I think it's interesting. It's always nice. He wanted to have closure when he got voted out, and I think MJ wanted to have closure to know when he actually was done. There weren't a whole lot of places he could have gone, but to Michael, he doesn't care as much about that image stuff, so I think you're totally right. I don't know if it's as important to Michael. I will say, let's just, if we're playing the what-if game, mm-hmm. Very briefly here, let's say they get to the conf- the NBA Finals. They're playing the Spurs with David Robinson and Tim Duncan, and I don't see how they have any type of answer for that in the low post. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I agree. I mean, I think that uh, you know because the Spurs are kind of like those classic. They were centered around big men, around David Robinson and Tim Duncan, and then the Bulls are coming in with. Uh, you know, you've got Luke Longley, right, against two of the all-time great big men in Robinson and Duncan. Um, it's a cool what-if. Um, and, you know, maybe the strikes short season would have favored the older Bulls. Maybe maybe it wouldn't have because then you would have had – they would have had a lot of uh, back-to-back nights and, you know, three out of four nights and all that because there's less ga- games that they're crammed in, in, in a shorter period of time. So, um, yeah, it's a cool what-if, but it's also not a bad way to end the story either. And I think that – you know, that's something that you'll always that we'll always have in our mind is that no one could be Jordan in the nineties. But there were a lot yeah. of great players in the nineties and the only the only way they won championships was by either him not being there in the ninety four, ninety five seasons, or um they had to go through him and in uh the Pistons, you know, b- back in uh, uh before the Bulls first repeat. So um but it's so cool to relive all of this and uh, really go back because because a lot of young people just don't understand how great Jordan was, and it's funny when you have a, you know all these younger kids saying that LeBron's the greatest, LeBron's the goat. It's like never watched MJ, so yeah, <laughs> you know, it, and that's true of all of us, right? You know, I say Michael Jordan's the goat, but I never watched Bill Russell, right? I never watched those yeah. guys, so um, I think it's just fun to enjoy amazing athletes and then get to relive the stories. Uh, and, and some of that footage was amazing. I mean. The, the the media chasing Rodman was another one of my favorite parts out of the stadium. That was amazing. <laughs> well, I will say the last to close this up. I will say so. Let's say they lose to the Spurs in the finals that year. 
that whole 6-0 MJ in the finals thing is done. That's not something that lives on forever. And I that really strengthens the argument that you have um, and I think is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jonathan, this was so much fun. Is there anything else that's on your mind? We have to get going here in a second. Oh, there's plenty on my mind after that after that <laughs> documentary. I feel like I feel like I could do another uh, twelve segments on this thing. So, <laughs> all right. Um, but you know, depending on how long this uh, coronavirus thing goes, who knows? Maybe we'll have a uh, another dance. <laughs> yeah, that'd <laughs> maybe be great. Be the last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, we'll uh, definitely talk for a longer period of time. Uh, talk some sports another time soon. Is there anything else that you would like to plug or promote while you're here? You want to throw out your Twitter handle? People can find you. Sure, sure. I love a good argument. I love, I, I, I love a good debate. So uh, yeah. my, my Twitter handle is uh, Clancy Jonathan. So it's C-L-A-N-C-Y-J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N. Um, come at me. Come at me, bro. <laughs> All right. This was great. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks so much, Jack. Appreciate it. Great job today from Jonathan. So glad he was able to join me and share some thoughts. A lot of interesting stuff right there. Look forward to having him back on the podcast in the future. Let's go over to my conversation with Daniel Setsky that I recorded earlier today. Daniel Setsky, he is a dental student, a great friend of mine, and has never been on the Jack Vita show before, but we have podcasted once in the past. Hey, Jack. Glad to be here. How are you doing, Daniel? Doing pretty well. Just just really in awe from the, the culmination of what was a really great series that, that we got to witness over the last five weeks. It was so much fun. It felt like it went by so quickly. It was just awesome to have something to look forward to every single Sunday. It felt like a live sports event. Yeah, I don't know about you, but like even though I knew that the Bulls were going to win each finals that series that they were in, I still got kind of nervous towards the end, just like with theatrics of how they all <laughs> came together. So, Daniel, immediate thoughts on this documentary. What What do you think? What are your main takeaways from it? Um, I think I would agree with everybody when I just loved it. I felt like it was the best like documentary, docu-series, whatever you want to call it, that I've that I've ever seen. And um, I think partially that's just because of how sports deprived we all are right now. Yeah. But I think just the the cinematics of it all was was really outstanding. Totally agree. It was um it was beautiful work of art, especially episode ten, which we will get to. I really think the only docu series documentary you could compare it to was the OJ Made in America. They're two different OJ series. One was acted out. One was the 30 for 30 five parter. And this was similar to that. I think it, that one may have been about eight or nine hours. Uh, and that was excellent. Wonderfully done. But I do think this one was even better. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. That, that, that was a great one too. I think just OJ doesn't have quite the popularity that Michael Jordan, um, Michael Jordan has. It's like the world, the world um, renownedness right. of Jordan, and think I think that just kind of like allure, just kind of raises this documentary just to a whole nother pedestal that we haven't seen before. Absolutely. So, Daniel, what was your favorite 
episode, maybe two episode night from the whole series? Um, for me, I would have to go with the Rodman episodes or any time that they were really highlighting Dennis Rodman's kind of antics. And so I think that was in like three or four yeah. when they were talking about, um, you know, like when he needed a vacation, like mid mid season and they just let him go to Vegas. Just the total, the entire team just kind of turned, like turns a blind eye for a second and just lets him go do his thing. I thought that was a really unique thing that you would never see that happen today. And even though that was only, you know, 20 some years ago, like that's just such a different, a different kind of mentality that um, teams had back then to, to kind of work with some of their, players are a little more high maintenance yeah it's really unbelievable to picture that in today's game with smartphones and social media and all the stuff that you'd have leaking out on twitter tmz oh my gosh we just saw dennis rodman 12 hours after the bulls won a game in the middle of january and he was at this uh club at 4 a.m it's just uh (laughs) vegas it's pretty crazy yeah, and they interviewed Carmen Electra, and she's like, "Yeah, I have, I had no idea like the season was right then and there. I because I don't know basketball. It's like she knew who Dennis Rodman was, obviously, but she's like, I don't know. I was interrupting something or doing something ridiculous with them right now. Well, they were married, so right. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty hilarious. You know, the Rodman stuff reminded me. It was really. I I'm glad you brought that up. I was really fascinated about the Rodman relationship with Phil Jackson. I thought that was really fascinating, in my opinion. They did a Rodman 30 for 30 just a few months ago, and it's really good. If you haven't seen that one, I recommend it if you're interested in this whole character of Rodman and how he ended up the way that he was. But what I was so fascinated with, and I'd love to, if they did another documentary or a short that went a little deeper on this the relationship between Rodman and Phil Jackson it reminded me of another player that Phil had with the Lakers who was a little bit of a loose cannon but Phil was able to maximize uh do you know I'm talking about Daniel on our test or meta world peace yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and I think this this documentary although it wasn't super um direct and talking about it, it really highlighted how good of a coach Phil Jackson was because when you have like all this talent on a team, it's real easy for certain guys to, you know, their egos try to get in the way of others and everyone's different personality kind of clashes. And so to see how Phil Jackson was able to manage Michael Jordan, you know, like his competitive nature and how easy it was for him to kind of like beat down, his, his teammates in practice that was kind of touched upon a little bit, you know, Pippen sat out that entire first half of the season um, when they were going for that last ring. And then, you know, Rodman's antics along with everybody else, like Phil Jackson did an incredible job of managing everybody. Totally. The thing that just amazes me with Phil Jackson is he sold both Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant on team basketball and was able to maximize and win 11 championships with those guys. Yeah, and that's something that's kind of hard to do when you have a superstar and somebody with the fame of Michael Jordan. You know, he was reaching 
um, demographics that have never seen basketball before. And so he took, you know, Michael Jordan was a worldwide commodity that he was the first athlete to really ever become that. And so trying to manage that ego and keep him focused on the team was really, really something that Phil Jackson was able to do. Absolutely. So my favorite part was last night, episode 10. I loved how this documentary, just in an art form that we talk about, the cinematography of it and everything of that nature, I love the way that they went back and forth with, I would say they went back in time, but 98 is already going back in time for 2020 standards, but flipping back and forth between what's going on in this 1998 season, but also what happened before that. And then to have this point where it all just evens out and they're at the point where, okay, now we are at these 98 finals. We don't have to reference anything anymore. Let's just stick with this story. And I wasn't really sure what to expect from the final chapter of the documentary. I didn't really know where we would go, how much time we would spend on what, And it ended up being a little more of a focus on just letting the game play out for itself and adding some nice music and featuring some good interviews and quotes from MJ and Pippen and those guys from what's going on in game six of that finals. And just I love how they let that game sort of organically play out. It was beautiful art, in my opinion. Yeah, because there was such a great storyline just from the basketball itself. And, you know, they had plenty of episodes early on in the series where they kind of highlighted some of the behind the scenes things. And when, you know, when they get go into like the biographies of the different players and sort of the drama that was happening off the court. But towards the end, when they're going for that sixth ring, you know, when they're playing the Pacers and then going on and facing the Jazz in the final. Um, those games were dramatic by themselves enough where you really didn't need a whole lot else to kind of push the story along. And that was something I thought was interesting too, because going into it, I'm like, there's an hour left and I just want this to go on for another five weeks. I don't want it to end. But then when that hour came to a close, I was like, that last chapter was just perfect in my opinion i love the way that it ended i love that highlight reel of mj to that pearl jam song i just like at that point when they're showing that highlight reel from that era and you have just images of winning championships and mj leaning up against pippen uh in the flu game or now we know it as the food poisoning game all that stuff with that music, I, I almost teared up. It was so impactful on me. Yeah, and it definitely when, um, right at the end, when um, Phil Jackson has everyone bring in like their favorite memories and write a little something down and throw it in that little coffee can fire that he lights, it was just kind of, it, it was kind of sad to watch and just kind of see that like, all right, this is actually ending and, we've had a good run, but we need to kind of just kind of (laughs) put those memories aside and just move on with their lives. And even though they all kind of knew that that was going to be the result of this, just because Phil Jackson, even at the beginning of the season said, Hey, this is is the last dance. This is our last time we're going to be together. Just kind of watching it. And there in that final scene was kind of, kind of emotional. I bet for everybody involved. Very emotional. It felt like a college team in a lot of ways. Yeah, I could see how you could say that. Um, 
it was definitely some of that in the locker room. You know, at the same time, um, Rodman said that he never had a single conversation with Pippen and Jordan, like three of them off the court. And so hmm. there was definitely, you know, some, like a bunch of different personalities involved. But yeah, like when you're just on the road, seeing them on, on the buses and stuff, you definitely saw a good, a good gelling of everybody together. Yeah, I was thinking along the lines of it being kind of like your senior year is up and you there you don't have any option to stay. They're all just being forced out. Yeah, which I'll never understand um, kind of why Jerry Krause was so quick to get rid of everybody. Just And like people can speculate and like we'll, I'm sure we'll never get a direct answer on why he wanted to do that, but um, I don't know when you got Michael Jordan in the, he's still in his prime, you know, and even Jordan talked about how he, it was kind of maddening for him that he wasn't able to go out and try to defend the title. How much are you putting on Kraus? How much, how much frustration do you have with him? Well, a lot because you look at it and the Bulls had won two titles coming into the night two straight coming into the 97 98 season. And he already comes out and says, Phil Jackson, this is your last year. It doesn't matter if you go 82 and 0. this is your last year coaching. Knowing that also Michael Jordan had said, I don't want to play for anybody aside from Phil. And so it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like the whole point is to continue winning and sure. Maybe Jerry Krause had some sort of, um, desire to build something up again and get more credit to himself. But, you know, now he's looking at as being the fall guy forever because he had three peat with no chance of creating a four peat at all, even though Jordan thought that, that was a real possibility. It was indefensible, in my opinion. All the stuff MJ was saying, I think he's right. There's no reason for him to want to blow it up. He wanted to have more credit for being a powerful executive that he won six championships and he had a little bit of a Napoleon complex and he thought wanted to get more recognition. He couldn't wait to tear this thing down and he thought it was going to be just as easy to draft the next Michael and to build that next dynasty. And he looks like a fool for thinking that. However... Having said that, I think that in some regards, it's a little unfortunate because Jerry Krause is no longer alive. There's no way for him to defend himself. And you could put a little bit on Reinsdorf because Reinsdorf was allowing all this stuff. I know that that's not really Reinsdorf's uh, operation, his the way he functions, where he's going to take control. There are more. There are other owners that are much more hands-on, but I think he could have done a little more, and there wasn't really a whole lot of blame going out to Jerry in this documentary. And at, at, in the last part of that, I'd say is that Jerry Krause was an executive for a dynasty that won six championships in eight years. You can say whatever, how much credit he deserves, whatever. But he was, in terms of success, there isn't a general manager in this city that has had more success. So I think we can come down on him for looking like a fool at the end of the era, but I don't think we should ultimately 
define him by that. At what point does your success outweigh your shortcomings? There have been far worse executives in Chicago. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and he definitely had a, a whole host of great decisions that he made. But just some of the things that, some of the, the way that he did things just didn't make any sense. You know, like, why would you go out to the media and say, hey, this is Phil Jackson's last year? It just puts a weird spin on things. I think he did it again mid-season. He came yeah. back in that 98 season and said, like, hey, just a reminder, Phil Jackson's not coming back this year. Like, there's no real reason to do that, aside from just trying to get out, get his own name out there. And I, I don't really see a reason for for him to say a few of the things that he did. You know, just being the general manager, like, go let the players play and kind of deal with things behind the scenes. I, I agree. Reinsdorf was backing him up a little bit by saying we felt that the core was at its end and we couldn't, we had to break this thing up. We had to rebuild, which as you were saying, and as I agree with you, it's ridiculous. You, you keep going until you end up losing. If they have lost to the Pacers, then maybe it makes a little sense. Okay. Maybe, maybe it is time, but he said that the whole core was at the end of their prime. Scotty Pippen ends up going, they trade him to the Rockets, but then he ends up having that next life on the Trailblazers, and they went to the West Finals. I think it was it was either 2000 or 2001. They were made it, played it, they got to game seven, and they blew a 20 point lead over the Lakers. And he was the star of that team. Yeah, so Pippen obviously would have required a lot more money to stay with the Bulls, but yeah, he was no by no means done or over the hill. Michael Jordan had just led the league in scoring the past three seasons. So, you know, he's still at the top of his game. And then, sure, maybe Rodman had worn out his tenure there, but he's the kind of player who he could sort of more easily replace, you know, maybe not to the fullest extent that Rodman was, but to find like a defensive grinder, kind of a rebounder type, he would have been a little bit easier to replace than Jordan or Pippen. You know, you still have a good core work around and yeah there's i don't see a reason why you would come think oh these guys are in their mid-30s even though they had all-star tight seasons you know they can't do that again next year you're correct rodman was pretty much at the end of the line there and in fact i don't really know how productive he was in 98 for the bulls compared to what you saw from him earlier in his career in he was out of the league by the end of 2000. Yeah. So he did not have a whole lot left. Yeah. I mean, even in 98, he still led the league in rebounding. He averaged 15 per game. Yeah. But I, I think more so just beyond that, like this is off the court antics. You know, you can only take so many trips to WWE matches and wrestle Hulk Hogan midseason <laughs> um, before that kind of wears out your welcome. And so, you know, what was he? He was with the Bulls for three seasons and, they won three championships, but I don't know how much longer they could have lasted, you know, especially if Phil Jackson's not going to be able to one kind of managing him. You know who was really good, who stepped into the Rodman role nicely off the bench? In 97, they didn't talk about him once, this documentary. Well, it was focused on the 98 season, but Brian Williams, who later changed his name to Bison Daylay, he filled that Rodman role really nicely as a younger version. So he could have been, I do think, as you mentioned, there were guys that they could have 
replaced him with. That would have been too hard to replace him with. You know who else? Steve Kerr, he goes over to the Spurs and he wins two more championships. <laughs> yeah, and the, kind of the one thing that kind of annoyed me about this documentary was just how much emphasis they put on Steve Kerr. Oh, interesting. And I have a feeling that that's, that's got to be partially because of the success he's had with the Warriors and just because he's a very popular name right now that they wanted to, inter- they wanted to interview and get him a lot of airtime. But he was he came off the bench his entire time with the Bulls. He didn't start a single game. And, you know, even at that last, the last kind of slide of the final episode, when they say Phil Jackson was let go, Michael Jordan retired, Pippen um, was traded, they, they put Steve Hurd on that list. They went like, Phil Jackson, Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, and then Kerr, as if he was like this fourth, almost this fourth, almost start on the team. When really, you know, he was just a very mediocre role player. He he was really good at his role, but well, I would say he was a he good role player. I wouldn't say mediocre yeah. role player, but you could say mediocre NBA player. I'd say he was really good like role he, player. He was, he was great in his role. It was just his role was extremely limited what he was able to do. So I don't think it was fair. I, I don't know. He got a lot of airtime for somebody who, you know, wasn't this huge star. Yeah, I enjoyed the Steve Kerr stuff. I could see why I was starting. I did think about that. I Like, we did get a lot of Steve Kerr. But I do think the thing with Steve Kerr is he verbalizes his thoughts so well. He's just... I think he gives great quotes, and I loved all the Steve Kerr stuff. I love the stuff about it didn't really know. I knew his dad was in politics. I didn't know that his dad had been killed that way, and that was I. That was a nice moment, I thought, to show him uh, hitting that shot in 97. And so I, I like the Steve Kerr stuff, but I understand if that wasn't for everyone. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely a great, a great person to, t- to interview about when talking about the team itself and just kind of seeing how things progressed throughout that season, just because he is so well-spoken. It was just, just a lot to kind of, for the amount of actual impact he had sure. on the court, it just seemed like a little bit of a misrepresentation. Who would you have liked to see more from? Yeah. Um, I think they, talked enough about the the first repeat um in order to you know adequately represent that bj armstrong was a big part of those teams and he had plenty of airtime um horace grant as well i think i don't know about you i didn't really seen any ron harper yeah there was no ron harper that was the name i was thinking of yeah like he was a pretty big part of those teams you know he he was a starter he contributed great a lot defender to, right to those three championship teams in the let the latter part of the decade so um that would have been nice to hear his take on things even if you know he didn't really have anything special to add it would have been great to hear at least what he thought of yeah i'd also say that we got a healthy amount of horace grant but i don't think so okay if you want to talk about 94, 95, those two years that MJ came back in the middle of 95. And this is often talked about from people who want to debate the LeBron and MJ stuff. And that's, we're not going to get into any of that today because I think it's a waste of time. We hear it everywhere. But you always hear, 
oh, well, Scottie Pippen and the, the Bulls still won 50 games and were great without MJ. And then the Bulls lost in 95. 94, they had a really good team without MJ. They still had Horace Grant. They still they had, in addition to Paxson, they also had Steve Kerr. 95, they lost Paxson and they lost Horace Grant. And MJ came out in the middle of that series and really was that was a big mismatch going against Orlando when you're trying to guard now Horace Grant's in the other jersey and they have Shaq and the Bulls never really had a dominant big man. Yeah, it was kind of amazing though, just to see Dennis Rodman in the trenches battling yeah. Shaq. Which I you know, Dennis Rodman's what, like six seven, six six, six eight maybe. Yeah. So that was ninety that was ninety six. Yeah, Shaq is just this huge figure, like seven foot one, close to three hundred pounds. <laughs> it was just really cool to see Rodman handling his own down there. Yeah, it was awesome because ninety five they didn't have Rodman or Ron Harper yet. So ninety five they just didn't really have a very good team. They were a five hundred team that Michael came back to. We didn't focus a whole lot on that, but that was I feel like that's glossed over a lot when people like to debate the MJ LeBron stuff. Yeah, he definitely he definitely had a good a good team around him. You you mentioned the Steve Kerr thing. What was did you have anything else that you had gripes wise with this documentary, or when did you think perhaps the weakest episode may have been? Really, aside from the Steve Kerr thing, that was not, not that I didn't enjoy that. It was just a little bit more than I would have probably liked to see of a guy who came off the bench for three for three championships. But um, I thought it was a really good balance overall of having. You know, the Phil Jackson episode, one about Rodman, one about Pippen, and just seeing how all like the big featured players of those teams came together. Um, I really, um, I would have maybe liked a little bit more about some of the controversy involved with Jordan. Um, I know that would have been kind of, that might have been taken away from the positive outlook people have on him or just kind of like the overall feel of the, of the documentary, but just kind of, you know, talking about, there's always that rumor going around that that flu game was actually a hangover and stuff yeah, like I that. Was, I was surprised that they didn't mention that. Oh yeah. That rumor is ridiculous. Like there was no question about that in the documentary. I had never heard the food poisoning story before. Had you? I had read about it. Um, I've read, Michael Jordan's autobiography, More Than a Game, a uh, real good book that he talks about it in there. And so, like, they, they made a very believable story in the, in the documentary. Like, five people come to deliver this pizza. Like, that's weird. Obviously, they tampered with it somehow. But really, you know, there's so many different theories going along with that game and how, like, he was clearly hungover. So many people are convinced of that. And just the fact that they didn't even, t- they didn't even touch on that was kind of odd. Yeah, I don't buy into the theory, but I thought that they would try to dispel it. So, yeah, I think you that is a good point. Like, why not even try to say, hey, this is something that a lot of people think, 
And then MJ says, well, there's no way that that could have been true. And then here are the quotes from his trainer and his bodyguards. Oh, no, Michael didn't leave his room that night. So I don't know. Maybe it was just the fact that there was so much going on in these last two episodes that they didn't want to spend time on it. But I do think I was a little surprised that after they talked about all the gambling stuff and the whole theory about him getting kicked out of the league, that they didn't address this uh, theory or conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah, because thinking about it, at least for me, him getting suspended by the league for gambling seems a lot less likely than him, you know, having a little <laughs> bit too much to drink one night and being right. hungover. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. A, why? Um, why on earth would David Stern, based on every decision that David Stern has made or that he did make as a commissioner? Everything is what's in the best interest of the league and money. And you hear David Stern last night, he was talking about how much Michael grew the game and how much of a cash crop Michael was. Why on earth would he want to kick Michael out of the league or suspend him for a year? Now, maybe if there was some type of suspension, like 10 games or something like that, just a little slap on the wrist, but it doesn't make sense why David Stern would be motivated to kick MJ out of the league. Yeah, it wouldn't have made any sense. You know, he's Michael Jordan's the sole reason that the NBA brand grew like to three times the amount of countries that it had been in before. So yeah, there's, there's no reason he would be suspended for gambling in my mind by the NBA because it was just, decrease their value so much yeah so my opinion i thought the gambling episode was the weakest one yeah there was a lot involved in that where it there was definitely a lot of time spent off the court and it might have in certain aspects it might have seemed like they were just trying to fill time a little bit but also that was such a huge portion of his life you know it was just a shock to me to see him you know like smoking cigars in the locker room like before (laughs) a game or after the game where you really wouldn't see you would you would never catch LeBron James with a cig with a cigar you know and at any time in his life um, during the season. Well, he did post an Instagram with a cigar uh, okay. about a year okay. ago, actually. Okay. <laughs> but just yeah, saying, though, just like the the juxtaposition of like he's such a a world class athlete, and then yeah. like in the facility where he is working so hard to be at the top of his game, you know, he's still having a cigar. I think this kind of talks to the kind of person Jordan was, you know, he gives it his all on the court and then, you know, he's going to still enjoy himself going to, going to golf every now and then, you know, gambling when he has the time for it. And I think that was a really cool thing to see that, you know, he's the best basketball player in the world, but even he still needs these other things to enjoy himself. Yeah. I think that that would have been the gambling thing they could have tackled that in maybe half the episode and then used the other half the time on something else. But I didn't love, I think what I could, maybe they could have put a greater emphasis on it. It felt like the whole gambling thing was more of an issue that the press created than he created, that they wanted to find a way to take him down and to create some form of conflict around him. It's something that happens all the time with celebrities and famous athletes. Oh, definitely. Uh, after I forget when the first allegation, when the first like gambling thing came out, but he had already been on the top of the sport for several years. He was 
a clean cut guy for the most part, everyone loved him. You know, people are just trying to ruffle feathers or come out with a different story that kind of puts them on the top of the news stack or whatever. But yeah, I don't, I don't think there was any sort of reason to do that or any sort of tarnishing of his own, his own name from that. And also in that documentary and that one, they mentioned the part where they said, well, you know, here's the thing. Michael was a great, he was a great athlete. He was a great basketball player, but he was a little controversial off the court and they brought up the gambling thing. And I thought that they were going to go, there was like, okay, what, what, is there something we're going to find out here? They're going to focus in on something that we didn't know. I felt like all that stuff we knew. And I was sort of like, is it really that big a deal? Because in the year 2020, we have all the gambling stuff on sports center every night with Scott Van Pelt. Like it was just, it was kind of, it felt a little bit of a stretch. And then especially when they went with the, Republicans buy sneakers too line. Right. Everything just gets so overanalyzed. And I think that they did a really good um, part of kind of analyzing this, you know, how mentally drained Jordan was after his first three teeth, how he like just had to have that time off because everything he was doing was so scrutinized. And I think the documentary was great and showing like, yeah, like everyone's on top of me and that I, I have all this fame, but I really don't want that anymore just because, everything I'm doing is just kind of, it's almost like I'm a robot and I'm just playing basketball here. Whereas people forget that I'm an actual person with needs off the court, you know, basketball is one portion of that, but you know, just like anybody else, you know, goes to work and then is allowed to go do fun things for themselves as well. You know, Michael Jordan wanted to do that too. I totally agree. It was like the thing, the thing with them is, he needed that break. And there's a really great documentary called Jordan Rides the Bus. It's a 30 for 30 about his time in the minors with the White Sox. Have you seen that one? No, I have not. Oh, it's a good one. I highly recommend it. If you're interested in that topic as a whole, they go into that in good detail. But yeah, I just think it was a really good way to show. Like, cause I, I, whenever I read about it, oh, how he retired and then he came back and then retired again, it kind of maybe think of just like, I really didn't know what to think about Jordan, whereas he was like where his head was at, you know, retiring on the top of his game in his early thirties when really like, I don't know if they win that second repeat if he doesn't take off the time and who knows how effective he would have been in the long run. If everything, if he hadn't kind of unplugged for a little bit and done something else. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that part, that part to me is a lot more interesting than the gambling stuff. And I'll, I'll just mention it real quickly. I texted you when this happened in that episode about the, when they're like, Oh, he was really controversial. And they're like, he one time said Republicans buy sneakers too. And I thought it was really, when they mentioned that at first, I thought, okay, maybe they'll talk about how this was something with his marketability. I thought that by that quote, there was genius in it, regardless of whatever your political views are. I'm open for business for anyone. I'm not going to tie myself down to one political demographic, and those are going to be the people who buy my sneakers. And that's something that I think is greatly overlooked today, where I'm, I say, look, I'm not going to go into any politics on this podcast because this isn't a political thing and sneakers aren't political. We don't need to politicize 
everything. So I, I thought that was almost comical how they got mad that he didn't, he refused to take a side. It wasn't even that he took the side of the candidate that they disagreed with. It was just the fact that he wouldn't take it, go into politics in general. I, I, that was maddening to me that that was somehow something that people were worked up with. Yeah, because that, that's where he should be. You know, I think a lot of people who are famous try to stick themselves into situations where they don't know anything and they just kind of try to voice their opinion and people listen to it because those people are so powerful. Where Michael Jordan is, is a great example of, I think, what you should do. Whereas he's like, hey, I don't really know much about this. Yeah. Um, and saying, no matter what I say, people are going to listen to it. So I'm just going to try to back off and not say anything. Totally. Another thing that I thought was really interesting. How about, how about classy Carl Malone coming onto the bus last night? They show him going onto the bus to congratulate the Bulls after winning a title. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was really cool. Uh, sight to see him and Stockton seem like both like great guys. Yeah. Throughout this whole thing. I think all of those dream team guys just had such a mutual respect for each other. I don't know if all of them were friends, but I think you saw some of that with Malone and MJ, what they're saying to each other. And you contrast that to the whole bad boys Pistons, not even shaking hands. I think it just makes the Pistons look even worse from when they did that. Yeah, and I, even the, the Indiana series in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, you can kind of see them all in the same hallway for the press conference, like Reggie Miller's sitting there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, how, how's your family doing? You know, Reggie's just walking by to go do his press conference, even though this is just mid-series. And so, I, yeah, I think definitely there's some there's something um, good to be said about how all those guys, you know, they're, they're still like the fiercest competitors ever. You know, Reggie Miller... Michael Jordan, obviously, two of the most competitive people we've ever seen on the court. You know, they said they were still cordial with each other, even mid-series. I think that was a great era where it was a, the right balance of guys who were competitive, but they also respected each other and were friendly with each other, but not to the degree of, okay, now we're, I'm just going to go, MJ says, oh, I, the Bulls are forcing me out. I'm going to go play with Reggie Miller on the Pacers now. <laughs> like the, the guys wanted to really go toe-to-toe with each other at the time, which was cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I liked that uh, the Pacers stuff. They were so close. They were so close to beating the Bulls, and I think that's something that has been underreported over the years. Just yeah. that was the toughest series they had in the East all those years. Yeah, it was cool to kind of recognize some of the competition that the Bulls took down because there were a lot of teams that that were really good during that time that Michael Jordan just ended up being just a little bit better than or that his Bulls teams were just a little bit better than. So it was cool to see a team like the Pacers get a little bit of airtime because that was one of the, the toughest things that the Bulls had to do was take those, take those guys down. How about Gary Payton? when he was talking about what it could have should have and how he could have beaten the Bulls if he had guarded MJ the whole series. And they hand MJ the iPad, and he's just laughing the whole time. That was great. Yeah, I don't know. He said that they would have beaten them if he was on the whole <laughs> series, but like, why wasn't he on the whole series then? You know, there was a reason for everything. Yeah. And yeah. you can go back and say one thing or another, but, you know, the Bulls still ended up finding a way to win even though Peyton was on Jordan 
towards the end of the series. And so who's to say the Bulls wouldn't have been able to make an adjustment early on if Peyton comes out game one riding Jordan the whole time. So yeah. there's no way to say that. They called it one of the biggest finals mismatches in history just when the when that series began. So there's no way to argue that the, the Sonics would some way have beat the Bulls <laughs> if that would have happened. I think they should do a spinoff show where – they just hand MJ his iPad and he just reacts to stuff. It could be MJ's watching uh, South Park and you just see him reacting to stuff or he's watching uh, YouTube videos. I don't know. I, I loved any time that he was reacting to stuff on the iPad. It was great. Yeah, that was funny to seeing him react to his old competitors, either talking themselves up or talking him down. It was, it was a great, great interplay there. I'm glad they highlighted the Indiana fans for a little bit there because I have been to a couple of Pacers games. I've been to a Pacers playoff game, and I also went to an Indiana Hoosiers game just back in January, and I can tell you that they are 100% as they were depicted last night. Oh, yeah. Indiana is kind of like the basketball the basketball state of this country almost. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that was that was really cool to see that, and then you know the fans in Utah there at the end of that <laughs> last championship. It was it was really cool to see kind of the different atmospheres involved. So I mentioned Isaiah uh, not too long ago. I think that I, I like that they talked about this idea that it wasn't Michael who entirely kept him off the dream team. What are your thoughts on that topic as a whole? Um even kind of listening to Isaiah Thomas talk during this, you know, this is what 20 some 30 years later. Um, he kind of just seemed like a tough person to be around. just like a difficult person to like. And so, yeah, it yeah. seemed like magic Johnson wasn't a huge fan. It seemed like Larry bird wasn't the biggest fan of him. And I think like both of them said it during, either during the series or they came out and said it later on that like, yeah, like none of us wanted Isaiah Thomas on the team. I don't think it was a mistake by any means to leave him off of it just because it seemed like everyone else got along so well. Yeah, you look at the tail of the tape, and as you mentioned, Magic and Isaiah were almost best friends. They were really close, and they had a public falling out. They recently seemed to make up a couple years ago. I don't know where they stand today, but there was a lot of friction between those two guys. Isaiah at one point said that Larry Bird isn't a good basketball player. The only reason that people say he's good is because he's white. So there was no love loss between those two. Carl Malone threw an elbow at him in a, in the game one time. So he already, he had enemies with half that team. And you also think about who's the dream team coach, his coach, Chuck Daly. If they really wanted Isaiah on that squad. If Chuck really wanted him on there, he could have fought for him. But I think Chuck understood that he was going to upset the team chemistry and there was no reason to pick a fight over that. Yeah. I think even Jordan said in the documentary that Isaiah Thomas is the best, second best point guard ever, according to him behind magic Johnson. But I think, I think also, just like that team was so good and that team was so much better than everybody else they were playing. You know, even if the team on the court would have been a little bit better with Isaiah Thomas, there was really no need for him because 
with or without him, they were going to dominate everybody. Yeah. I mean, and look, the bad boys chose to behave the way they did, and no one should feel bad for them. I, I don't think you, anyone should feel bad for them because they, they owned that persona. And I think if they are trying to ask for sympathy, then that's like, I thought you guys were these big bad guys, but now you want us to feel sorry for you? No, no. You, you cheap shied everyone and it worked for you. You won championships, but people don't have to like or respect you because of that. Right. You know, they, you developed a, a persona now you're gonna have to to live with that yeah we've covered so much of this series what have we not talked about that we should be talking about i think we really kind of covered a, a lot of a good points i that was most of what i kind of <laughs> wanted to cover there um it kind of left me like they talked about at the end there's a little bit about possibility of them going for a seventh title right at the end and that was kind of a cool way to end it. How, you know, it just kind of makes you wonder like how good they could have been if they kind of somehow convinced everyone to come back. Jordan was talking about how like, yeah, if Phil came back and I came back, even though Scotty needed more money, you think he would have said no. If we all came back for one more year and we just signed a one year contract with Scotty. No, he, he would have came back too. And it, it kind of makes you wonder like, man, like could they really gone for a four feet? I think so. I'm actually, you know what? I'm pulling something up right here. Let's talk about that idea. What do you think? Do you think, so 99 season, we have to keep in mind, it's a shortened season. They only play 50 games because of the lockout. Right. And the Knicks end up making the finals that year out of the East. And the Knicks, this was like Ewing was towards the end of his prime. He was, I think Ewing, Ewing was out of his prime. He was still a good player. He was a starter. The Knicks were like a seven or an eight seed in those playoffs. They went on a run. And so now you're talking about the Bulls with Steve Kerr. We're talking about Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan. They still have, uh, I think they have Bill Wennington. I'm looking at the roster right now. Ron Harper is still there. There are some guys who came in that may not have fit the salary cap otherwise, but assuming that you have that core, Tony Kukoc, in a 50-game season, they had no idea that it was going to be a 50-game season going into 99, but you'd think that that would be a nice little handicap for a team that has uh, an older roster to play 32 less games. Right, and not to talk about all the chemistry that they already have, you know, there's, they can just kind of pick up right back where they, where they left off in June of the previous season. And, you know, regardless of the kind of team that's around Jordan and Pippen, you have those two who are still right in the middle of their primes. You know, I'm not going to count them out. I'm going to pull up the 92 or sorry, the 99 uh, final standings. I'm curious to see where they would have stood. Scott Burrell was a nice piece for them in 98. We got a lot of Scott Burrell. That was pretty cool in this documentary. Yeah, I wasn't really familiar with him on the team, but yeah, it was nice to see his his take on everything. Yeah, he was Jordan's boy. And the Bulls had the worst record in uh, in all of basketball. Because they were going for it, <laughs> they were right. they were taking thirteen thirty seven. So 
The number one team, do you have any guesses of who had the, there are two teams with its highest record in the NBA that year? Or in the mm-hmm. East, sorry. I don't know. Miami Heat and Reggie Miller's Indiana Pacers. Okay. And the Heat lost to the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs, and the Knicks made a little run there with Allen Houston, Larry Johnson, Latrell Sprewell, and the Heat, that would have been with Tim Hardaway, Alonzo Mourning, uh, Jamal Mashburn. So there was a nice core there, but I, I look at these teams. The Magic don't have Shaq anymore. The, there's the Hawks in fourth. There's the Pistons in fifth. There's the Sixers in sixth. And then you got the maybe the young Ray Allen Bucks in seventh. The Bulls could have, with that team, they're no doubt a top three seed in that East. Right. And once you get in the playoffs, you know, experience and just kind of the will to win takes over in a lot of cases. And, you know, I'm not counting Jordan out of any sort of any sort of playoff series. So they're well rested because they only played 50 games. And like you said, they have that playoff experience, much more experience than a lot of these teams in these playoffs. We can't say for certain, but I think they have a one-way ticket to the Eastern Conference Final, or at least to the uh, to the NBA Finals. Yeah, and now you so now they're going up against that team with Tim Duncan and David Robinson, which I can't say that the Bulls beat them because I don't know how they guard those two guys in the post. But so we we don't know. Obviously, we don't know any of this stuff. But they would have been right there if they kept that team for at least one more year. Yeah, I, I don't think we can... It's hard to speculate, and we can keep saying yes or no, but I think I think most of us can say the Bulls both will be very competitive that next year, no matter what. Totally. All right, is there anything else on the radar from you with these, uh, these 10-part series? Not really. It's just, it's just... It was a nice... Real nice filler there these past five weeks, you know, without sports, just to have um, something fresh and new to look at rather than watching, you know, reruns of old final games or Game Super Seven of the matchup. World Series. It's twenty sixteen World Series has been on like every once a week it seems. It's on all the time. Yeah, so something really nice and fresh to see. Um hopefully we'll get back to sports soon. I know the NBA is kind of slowly starting to rev back up. And um, other sports have kind of put some different plans in place to at least give us some semblance of hope for the future. But uh, this is definitely a great way to kind of fill this dead time without sports that we've had. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more thing on this documentary. You ready for it? Shoot. I loved, and I don't know if you felt this way, but it felt like there were just a lot of positive endorphins in my brain that were being released last night at the end. When I when again I mentioned that final montage to that Pearl Jam song, present tense was the song, and you hear what Michael said, where you had this team was on the cusp of doing something great. They just needed one match, and I just felt pumped up. I felt inspired. I just felt happy. Like this is unbelievable. I felt so pumped up and motivated. Yeah, it's cool. You get those moments where you're just either proud of the situation, like, even though I wasn't a part of it, I'm like, man, this is, this is the Bulls. Like, they're, they're my team. And, you know, you see that stuff happening, and then, you know, it's just kind of a cool, it just gives you goosebumps thinking about it. 
yeah, it was so so cool. And so I was just I've been in a great mood the last two days. I felt motivated. It makes you feel like what you are working towards in your own life is meaningful and that you can emulate that type of work ethic that Michael had. And I I gotta say, he said before this documentary series came out, people are going to like me less when they find out more about me. This made me like him more. Did you feel, how did you feel about him coming out of this? I thought he looked even better than before. Yeah, I, ne- I had never really dug into like a lot of his personal life, and or at least his opinion on things that happened. I just kind of saw him as Michael Jordan, you know, this great basketball player who had, you know, a few kind of weird moments off the court, you know, with the gambling and stuff. But kind of going into detail of both on and off the court and seeing his opinion of, along the way, it just made me gain an even greater appreciation for everything he's done and just admiration for, for everything. Just an outstanding job from ESPN, the creators of 30 for 30, and everyone who has been putting so much work into this that they've been working on for so long and that they've believed in. I know they spent at least a couple years compiling all those clips and all these interviews and piecing it together, and it was an amazing work of art. 10 out of 10, the best 30 for 30, in my opinion. Makes me excited for whatever 30 for 30 stuff they have coming out in the future and what they want to do if they do more of these docu-series because I think they've so far they've really only done two of them, at least two major ones, this one and the OJ one, and both were just huge smash hits, wildly popular, wildly successful, and it makes me really excited about what they do moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Daniel, what are what are you going to do now to pass the time without uh, without this going on every Sunday? Well, I I don't know if you saw Bryce Harper's plan for baseball to get back up and going. Seemed a little far fetched and out there, but <laughs> I think uh, I think something's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks with baseball and getting some news. I know certain um, states have opened up a little bit. Um, allowing sports to come back to their, to their states. So I think we're right on the cusp of something big and it's going to make us appreciate it even more so than we used to. Yeah, I sure hope so. It definitely, I think it's been a good time to just sort of relax and remember what's important in life and recharge. And hopefully we aren't too far away from getting everything back Daniel, this was such a blast talking today. Is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? Would you like to throw out your social media handles, anything of that nature? Um, not really. I don't, I'm not really promoting anything myself. But uh, <laughs> as always, it's a great, always great to chat with you, Jack. And uh, just let's keep our fingers crossed that sports keep are just on the cusp of getting back to where they used to be. If anyone needs a dentist. In a year, track this guy down. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Daniel. This is great. Wow. What a podcast episode it was today. Always fun on the Jack Vita show, especially when we are talking about NBA history. And that NBA history is pertaining to none other than the GOAT, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Great time today talking with Daniel and Jonathan. I look forward to talking more sports with them in the future. 
and I look forward to releasing more episodes of this podcast coming up. So if you don't want to miss out on new content, make sure you are subscribed to The Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Subscribe to The Jack Vita Show and you will never miss out whenever there's fresh content available. You can receive notifications that there's new stuff out there. You can follow me on Twitter at Jack Vita Show, like the Facebook page. That's also facebook.com slash Jack Vita Show. Follow my social media. And again, you won't miss out whenever there's great content available for you, the listeners. I'm hoping that we can get some news on Major League Baseball and that baseball and sports as we know it can return soon. And if that is the case, I will resume the remainder of my MLB preview series podcast. I know those have been popular and I look forward to talking more baseball. I hope we get to that point soon. Leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for the Jack Vita Show. Write a few kind words. goes a long way promoting this podcast and getting more listeners for this podcast. It's expanding the audience. It's the best way that you can support this show. I would really appreciate it. A couple months ago, we had about five or 10 reviews come in and it wasn't a coincidence. We had a ton of listenership that month. It really boosted us on Apple Podcasts and other people's suggestions where you know where it says, hey, you like this podcast? You might want to check out this one. That's where the Jack Vita Show comes up. If we get nice reviews written about us, five stars goes a long way. I appreciate it. I appreciate all of you so much. I hope you all are doing well. I'm praying that God brings us through this time. I know he will, and I know that things are going to turn out just fine. Stay positive, believe, and trust God. I do, and it's the best way to bring us through this time of temporary social distancing. I look forward to podcasting with you all very soon. Until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters. 